Big Ten Huddle. I'm your host, JR, and we are here to talk about the week two recap of all of the games in the Big Ten. We might not spend them at the exact amount at the same time on all of them, but we will hit every game that happened in week two of the Big Ten. I have with me today, we have Michigan fan, Josh, UM fan, and I don't know how to say your last name, Josh. Uh, Ogdale. UM fan, Ogdale. Uh, UM fan Ogdale we have with us. We have Big Ten Ted with us, and we have Kent Casual Big Ten. Listen, guys, these are some of my favorite Twitter followers, and, and I got all of these guys together with no intention, really. I just kind of asked them to be on the show. And so we have this awesome Twitter show for you guys today. If you're on Twitter, if you follow Big Ten Athletics at all, you are going to want to follow these guys. Josh, you want to start off by telling people where they can find you at? Yeah, um... So at UM Fan Ogdale on Twitter. Uh, so UM Fan and A U G D A H L. Um, I do do my own podcast with my boy um, M Go J D Blue. It's called the Josh and J D Show. So you can look that up on either Spotify or Apple. Just look up the Josh and J D Show, and it should come up. Um, thanks for having me on, Jr. For sure, glad to have you here, Ted. You want to tell people where they can find you at? Yeah, at Big Ten Ted um, over there on Twitter. No spaces, no underscores, just just straight up uh, over there doing all my my work nowadays. Previews, reactions, previews, reactions. It's a pretty simple rinse and repeat on YouTube until you get this Mel Tucker stuff, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Oh, yes. We are going to get deep into the Mel Tucker stuff, as I'm sure everybody is itching to hear about. And we have Kent, Casual Big Ten. Kent, you want to tell people where they can find you at? Yes, sir. It's at Casual Big Ten. I'm on Twitter and uh, just kind of just started the YouTube thing. Trying to get like my guy, uh, Big Ten Ted over here, man. He kills it on YouTube. So uh, just got that going and doing the podcast that goes out on all platforms. And then, like I said, just started the YouTube as well. So at Casual Big Ten on both of those things. Excellent. All right. Well, hey, thanks so much for sharing those guys. Please go do follow these guys. They are great accounts with great insight. Uh, just to remind you, we are brought to you by Big Banter Sports, BigBanterSports.com. We have a podcast for every single football team in the Big Ten. We're working on basketball right now, but it's your one-stop shop for all things Big Ten, individual teams, all the places that you need. And then this podcast, please do like and subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify, on Apple, please rate us. Give us a rating. We would appreciate that. Like this video. Subscribe. We have episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We recap the week of the Big Ten or the weekend of the Big Ten. We talk about news and notes and we preview as well. So you can find all that you need there. All right, let's get into the big discussion, the big topic, and we'll have Kent go for first for us. The Mel Tucker news. Obviously, this is heartbreaking. Whether you're a Michigan State fan, whether you're a Big Ten fan, obviously this is just not news we want to hear. Um, Mel Tucker has been suspended with the intention of firing if this does come out to be true. Um, he was accused of sexually harassing a rape survivor, Brenda Tracy, who came and spoke with the team about sexual harassment, rape, things like that. And the interim head coach will be Harlan Barnett, who is 56 years old. He coached, he has coached for Michigan State for 15 years. In 1986 and 1989, he played for Michigan State. He won the Big Ten Championship. He won a Rose Bowl. He played for seven years in the NFL. So he obviously is a decorated individual who will interim coach there. And Mark D'Antonio will make a return as an associate head coach coming out of retirement to help with the staff, help with the team. Athletic director Alan Haller found out about all of this in December of 2022. At least that's when it was reported that he found out. He started an investigation. And obviously, we all found out this Sunday morning around 1 a.m. 
and people started reacting. So, Kent, you go first. What was your reaction to this whole Mel Tucker situation? Well, first of all, I just I couldn't believe what I was reading. I was still awake last night when everything started coming out on Twitter, and I thought it was fake at first. I couldn't actually believe that it was real, mainly because of the time that it came out, and then mainly because of my state of mind. I was at a football game last night, so I had a few drinks, and I was like, this can't be real. But obviously, like just really disgusting story just in general, reading everything that came out in the USA Today article late last night and uh, embarrassing for Michigan State all around. Not only for Mel Tucker, but for the uh, administration, because I think that having the ongoing investigation and still allowing him to start the season was a mistake. I think that they should, probably should have suspended him before the season even started. That's just my opinion. Um, and, you know, there's a lot going back and forth on Twitter right now of like, let's see what happens. Let's see the investigation. And well, I'm going to kind of steal from my guy, Matt Sheehan. He's, he does Lockdown Spartans. He did a video today. I got to steal from him just a little bit. He's at least guilty of being stupid, though. You, you start a relationship with the person who is the spokesperson spokesperson for sexual assault at your university, and you're doing some things that you probably shouldn't be doing with her. Um, and he admitted that part. So there's no more investigation on that end. And to me, it's just stupid that he was even involved in it. Um, it's a, It's a tremendous bag fumble on his part. He's losing tens of millions of dollars. And uh, I just think it's embarrassing for the university once again to try to kind of start, not start over. They got some guys coming in, like you said, that have been there before. But um, yeah, it's just a sad story. I didn't like to read that last night. It wasn't something I was excited about. I hate reading any type of, we just got done with all the Pat Fitzgerald stuff this summer. So it's like, I'm kind of tired of dealing with stuff like this. I wish we could just get some guys that could uh, coach football and uh, we could just focus on football. But, you know. Here we are. So that's kind of my thoughts on it at the moment. Yeah. Uh, Josh, you are a resident Michigan fan for this episode. So obviously a rival of Michigan State. But uh, I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the situation. Yeah. I mean, just really poor judgment out of Tucker. And just, I really, it's just something you don't really don't know one under really what's going through his head to make that decision. I mean, and you just, I feel, I honestly really do feel for like both the players and the fans, you know having such a distraction from a season that started out pretty well for Michigan state. They're off to a two and zero start. They look solid. And now they got, this, they have a big game against Washington this week, top 10 matchup. And now they got this giant distraction. And um, it's honestly something I really wouldn't wish on any fan base, any program. And um, it, I'm, I was pretty disgusted to read that. And um, right when I read that, I was like, yeah, he's not going to last very long. And I, it was very kind of surprised how quickly it moved, but, I know he wouldn't wouldn't make it to the end of the week. So, yeah, and obviously we won't go through every single little detail here. But the USA Today did put it put together a very good article uh, detailing what happened. So if you'd like to read what happened there, uh, feel free to go on over to USA Today. Just type in Mel Tucker, and you'll find it pretty easily. Uh, Ted, why don't you wrap it up here? Give us your thoughts. Yeah, um, when I first heard this, this is kind of something that that's been touched on here with you guys so far, and I I couldn't help but can kind of compare it, or at least to to the Northwestern uh, situation, right? Uh, now, what we're seeing right here out of Michigan State is it sounds like the investigation. I know it's still technically ongoing, but it sounds like. They had a lot of this information sometime in July, uh, it sounded like. And as Kent said, how do you let them start the season? 
did we not learn anything from what happened? I know that Northwestern stuff kind of came out later, but you know, now as we sit um, right now, it's just, did you not learn anything about, about the PR disaster that went on in Evanston, Illinois? I think that's the big problem. And even if it's, I, I don't know exactly where things lined up date and time wise uh, with the Northwestern situation, but you, you throw that out the window. You still got to do your due diligence. You can't let a report come out and then that causes you to act like that. That's this. We see it again. We see it again. And I think Kent mentioned that as well. We, we go, we got to stop these big tent scandals somehow. I mean, this is just um, that that's kind of been something that that's brought up as well with Northwestern and now with Michigan state. And we know what Michigan state um, has had problems, of course, going back to that master case years ago um, that he was involved in uh, that Michigan state, obviously he was a trainer uh, and everything at Michigan state as well. So this is something that obviously Mel Tucker is probably not going to coach again. It sounds like they, they said October is when it's, really going to wrap up and i would assume he would be on suspension uh and then he would be fired before um october as well but but as everybody else said just just poor judgment just poor judgment and uh, kind of like can't echo in that it's it, it did not seem real at first when you read the article um uh, considering what this woman was brought on campus to do and the initial professional relationship that she had with mel tucker it's just I, I don't know. It's it's crazy uh, to think of that someone would do that with someone that was brought on campus to do, and you're doing the exact opposite of why that person was brought on campus, kind of thing. If you kind of know where I'm going with that, but it's just like it's it's very disheartening um, that this happens. But I will say this: you know, when you compare, you kind of mentioned my start with comparing it to Northwestern uh, situation as well. Michigan State has at least a, for for maybe the new head coach that eventually will come in there, um, has a little bit more to jump off with um, in terms of on the field and coaching at Michigan State as opposed to Northwestern. And then one other thing uh, to wrap up, at least my thoughts on this that you got to go back with is remember how Mel Tucker started. At Michigan State, right? Of course, there was that 2020 season. I call that almost a half a season. So his first year and a half, remember that 11-win season? He was at the highest of high, coming off a win against the University uh, of Michigan, uh, winning the Peach Bowl, 11 victories, and getting this great contract because Michigan State didn't want Nick Saban 2.0 where this great coach that they have leaves and has success elsewhere. I think Mel Tucker was kind of being rumored with LSU uh, before Brian Kelly eventually took that job out there as well. So they back up the Brinks truck, give him a huge ton of money, and what's happened since then? Straight down. Of course, 5-7 and seven last season, which included a loss to Indiana, uh, one of the most weird losses uh, you'll ever see on a football field. And then you lose Peyton Thorne. You lose Keon Coleman and look uh, look what Keon Coleman looks like um, right now. And then this happened. And I don't know if I've ever seen such a meteoric um, just dip in that short of amount of time when you factor in the on-the-field stuff and off-the-field stuff for Mel Tucker at Michigan State. Yeah, for sure. Um, and when you talk about, you know, the, the person that – he had sexually harassed allegedly and, and went through all those things. Like <laughs> I think Mark Rogers put it best when, or Mark Roger put it best when he said that, you know, the stupidity level is even higher than the issue of the morality 
level here because you think about who you're doing this to. And and I don't want to harp too much on it because I know Michigan State fans, and if we have any Michigan State fans, they're obviously uh, dreading all of this today. Uh, but I my encouragement to the fans would just be to support this team. Um, these these players deserve your support. Um, don't look at it as I'm not going to the game because I don't like the administration. These, you know, my message would be these players need your support. This is a tough season. This is a tough thing that they're going through. Uh, and obviously the victims and everybody else, it does not pale in comparison to them, but, uh, these players do deserve your report and do deserve fans to rally behind them. I was going to add just one more thing, JR, if you don't mind, I, I, I know you mentioned Mark D'Antonio coming back too. I just want to say this, and I'm not trying to beat Michigan State while they're down because they are down right now, but he didn't if, – if you want to do some research, go research why he left in the first place and then figure out if that's actually the best guy to have coming back in. I don't know. Maybe he is, maybe he's not, but people can figure out that for themselves, I guess, if they want to look it up. Right, yep, and there, there, there's tons of scandals and things to go around, and um, my, my hope is for that Michigan State just has a future without these scandals, without things like this going on, and they can just, you know, like you guys said, just play football. So, let's get into the football side of it now. We are going to talk about everyone's favorite subject of Deion Sanders. Uh, Nebraska loses at Colorado 14-36. to Looks like a pretty lopsided game, but if you watched it, uh, Nebraska defense actually held strong for most of the game um in the first half the 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 game was not terrible yes nebraska did not score colorado was winning 13 to 0 but their defense was playing better than maybe some anticipated josh why don't you give us your thoughts on this game yeah it was um it was an interesting one and i didn't catch all of it um the line i remember the line was set at six and a half colorado which it originally colorado wasn't even favored so that was definitely a big switch after their big tcu win and um I think Nebraska's big problem is just quarterback play. Jeff Sims has not looked like it at all for them this season. It's early in the Matt Rule era, and I hope they're not um, hitting the panic button on him yet because I honestly do think he was the right hire for Nebraska. He has a, he had a great track record at Baylor, and um, I think he's going to end up being successful. So if, I think if Nebraska wants to find some success this season, they're going to have to um, find a way to get more out of Jeff Sims because it's, it's not good so far. No, yeah, a lot of turnovers, a lot of interceptions, and way too many three and outs yesterday to to help that defense. Ted, what are your thoughts? Boy, you, you mentioned it with quarterback play. Uh, I, I tweeted this story in the game, and I thought about it some more, and I've had some time to think about it. Like, look what um look what Luke Altmyer's doing at Illinois. Okay, he's spinning the ball. He's kind of the bright spot, right, of Illinois football. And uh, what would yesterday's result have been like if Luke Altmyer transferred to Nebraska Instead of Jeff Sims, if you had a quarterback that could catch a shotgun snap, what would be the result of yesterday's game? Boy, at the very least, it's another one score loss for Nebraska, if not a victory. That defense has seen leaps and bounds of improvement. I love what Tony White is doing with that defense, especially in the back end, especially with the secondary. They can cover really well. You see what happened against Minnesota and then against Colorado. And we have to sit here and give Colorado their credit, right? What they're doing right now is unprecedented, right? This has never been done before. Deion Sanders and Colorado uh, deserve all the credit in the world, and we know all, all the attention that they're going to get continuing going forward. But for Nebraska, it's that defense right now. That is the strength of this team and this offense is 
Wow. Uh, Jeff Sims. Here's the thing also about Jeff Sims is you take out the turnovers, which you're taking out a lot. But if you do take out the turnovers, I thought he did a decent job throwing the football yesterday. Okay, you, you you know, you had an interception, of course, in there as well. But he did a decent, I'm not going to say good, I'm not going to say great. He did a decent job throwing the football when he had the opportunity to do that. But going forward, Nebraska is just so limited. And everybody in the middle of the game is calling it out. Let's see Heinrich Harburg. Let's see Chubba Purdy. Okay, did you see Chubba Purdy play last year? It was pretty ugly. Heinrich Harburg is essentially a running back uh, back there playing quarterback, right? I don't, and I know he went down the field. I know they got a late touchdown. And that's been kind of talked about of whether we could see Heinrich Harburg a little bit more down the road for Nebraska. But at that point, I think if you throw Heinrich in there, you, you're, you're playing 1990s Nebraska football. You're playing triple option football, right? At that point, I don't think you pose much of a passing threat. And be, I, I, they're kind of handcuffed right now. Nebraska is with with Jeff Sims. I hate to say it, uh, and I know other people have brought up Casey Thompson might have won this football game. And, and I don't know if I maybe go that far, but I definitely think Casey would have been a lot more competitive than maybe Jeff is um, right now. Matt Rule and this coaching staff they hitched their wagon to Jeff Sims. They did, and. Right now, through two games, and I know it's two games, they're going to have some confidence boosters the next two weeks against Northern Illinois and Louisiana Tech. So hopefully that will help things out for this offense. But, man, it's just – it's a tough – you're not going to win a lot of games if you perform the way they did uh, in these first couple of games on the offensive side. And and a lot of people are looking at this final score, 36-14. to 14. Well, how can you say their defense played well? This is a lot like the Iowa syndrome last season where their uh, offense was as bad as it was. And this defense played good. I go back to that Iowa-Ohio State game last year where they were forcing turnovers. They were close against Ohio State. But so much pressure – was put on Iowa's defense last year in so many different games because Iowa's offense was three and out, three and out, three and out, maybe a first down, three and out, uh, that type of thing. And that defense was on the field for so long and long. And when you're chasing the the speed on the outside for Colorado, you're eventually going to get tired. You're eventually going to get gassed. And that's, ex- that's exactly what happened with Nebraska. Yeah, for sure. And I think anybody who has played any lick of defense in their life uh, in football would, would you know, be able to comprehend that yes a three and out absolutely demoralizes your defense and just makes it 10 times harder for them all right wrap it up for us Kent what's your final thoughts yeah I mean Jeff Sims obviously deserves a lot of the blame for this game but I would just like to add to that I think that part of the blame offensively has to go on his wide receivers too it feels like every time he drops back he no one's open so he's holding on to the ball forever and then he a lot of times He's already behind the stick, so he's trying to force the ball into places where it's not going to work. So I, I think that he, he does deserve a, quite a bit of the blame. I mean, he's fumbling quite a bit, too, so it's like you got to hang on to the ball. But, uh, I mean, these guys covered it already. The defense played pretty well, and then they just couldn't move the ball, and they were putting their defense in bad spots throughout the game, too. So that's tough. But as Ted said, I think they got two wins coming up, but then it's Michigan. So I don't know how much better you're going to get in two weeks to before they come to town. So we'll see. No, certainly not. And I think it was Bud Elliott today on cover three that, or maybe it was yesterday, um, that said, I listened to it today, uh, but said that he noticed that there was only one design QB run for Nebraska in the first quarter. And that's just 
inexcusable. When you have Jeff Sims, the kind of athlete that he is, uh, that comes back to play calling. And I'm not normally somebody who harps on play calling because I know it's difficult and I know it's kind of a strategy. But uh, when you have Jeff Sims throwing that many touchdown or uh, interceptions, uh, you got to call more QB runs, I think. So, all right, let's get into our next game. Iowa wins at Iowa State. So we can talk about a Big Ten win here. Iowa is 2-0. and uh, Iowa, this was like you know, the, 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 just the kind of Iowa game you'd have blocked field goal, defensive touchdown, all those things, which by the way, I was 16th straight season with a defensive touchdown somewhere in there and Kirk Ferentz's 200th win. Ted, what are your thoughts on this game? Boy, you said this is classic Iowa football. And as a Midwestern big 10 fan, I, I freaking love it. I freaking love the way Iowa plays football. Oh my gosh. So Nebraska plays in the noon slot, which we just talked about, right? And you you looked at you talk about drop snaps, you talk about just not uh, executing the fundamentals, and then you look at Iowa. That was the cleansing I need when it comes to fundamental defensive, really good football where they don't beat themselves, and that's exactly what happened here with the Iowa Hawkeyes. You you mentioned the consistent success of Kirk Ferentz and this defense, the, the special teams as well. is outstanding. Um, I knew that this was going to be more of a challenge um, for Iowa, right? That Utah state, they had some ups and downs started hot and then maybe cooled off a little bit in a 24 to 14 win over the Yankees. Now you play Iowa state who had one of the better defenses in the big 12 from last year. They had a decent amount of pieces coming back for the Cyclones last year. It's a rivalry game. It's on the road. Yeah. You throw that uh, all into it. This Iowa offense, no doubt needs to get better, but man, there are, there are, Players that we didn't see a lot of last year that, to me, are really sticking out. Jazz Patterson is one in the backfield for me that really uh, stood out. All Myself included, a lot of people coming into this preseason talking about Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams could be a 1,000-yard back, and he still could be. But, man, the way Jazz Patterson uh, just hits the hole with, with power, with speed, and running downhill, I just love the spark he brings to this offense. I really believe in this Iowa State game, he was the spark that was needed for Iowa to be able uh, to get this victory um, in the end. They need to figure things out. Um, they need to figure things out at, at the wide receiver position. I don't think they can just throw to tight ends all year long. We know that's definitely going to be a big part of their offense with Eric Owen, Luke Lachey, but they, they need to get a little bit more with some of their wide receivers as well. We know about Nico Regaini, Deontay Vines, Seth Anderson, the transfer uh, as well. And this offensive line needs to be better a, a, as well. You kind of saw they only rushed 2.4 yards per carry against Utah State. I believe it was like 36 carries, 88 yards, I think, against the Aggies. And if it wasn't for, I think, the effort of Jazz Patterson, I think this would have been another one of those days where they didn't do a good job running the football. And we know that was an... That was a part I said in the preseason that the success of Iowa depends upon the offensive line. Okay. And you're kind of seeing that early on uh, here this season. How much are we going to get out of this offense? I think that's the, that's the big question. We know the defense is going to be great, right? We saw Sebastian Castro step up with a pick six. He's another great addition to that secondary. Jay Higgins has stepped up at linebacker, right? 50 tackles in week number one against Utah State. I think he was there for seven this week. You can uh, you know, partner here with Nick Jackson, the depth in the defensive line. Defense, they got to figure it out. That box is checked. No question about it. How far can the offense take Iowa in this Big Ten West that it's going to be another year of the Wild Wild West. It's going to be flip a six-sided coin and we'll see who ends up winning this thing. So it's the offense and once again against Iowa State, they they kind of rode the struggle bus at times. 
Yep, yep. Kirk Ferentz, he knows how he likes to win, and especially when he has Phil Parker on his side, one of the best, if not the best, defensive coordinator in the Big Ten. Uh, certainly is a huge piece for him. Kent, this game, what are your thoughts? I mean, you guys went through my whole notes and just checkboxed everything that I had written down, but I will say that uh, what Ted was talking about, to me it was the offensive line has to get better if you're going to compete in the West with all the great defenses and specifically defensive lines that they're going to be facing. I could, it felt like almost every other play there was a TFL on Iowa. It seemed like it. Every time they handed it off, they were getting blown up in the backfield. So I think if the O line gets better, it's just the mystery of like, you look around Iowa and you're like, how are they not scoring more? They have so many good pieces. Why are they not scoring more? And uh, in that game, I thought it was the O line. So I'll just echo what Ted said right there. That's pretty much it. You guys covered everything else. So it was great. For sure, for sure. And uh, we have somebody who knows very much about one of those really good pieces. Josh, what are your thoughts on Iowa and maybe mention Cade McNamara for a minute? Yeah, I, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. I think uh, I think Cade's a good quarterback for them, you know. I think he's not. He's a guy that's not going to lose them any games. You know, you saw how inept their QB play was last year and probably did lose them a few games. So I think that's going to help them out. They also got um, one of his favorite targets from his days at Michigan and Eric All. So that's I think that's helping the offense get there a little bit. Um, the defense is elite per usual. You know, you can never really argue about a bad Iowa defense. So I think um, just, yeah, the offensive line play going off of them as well, uh, getting better. And uh, I think you're going to, you know, I thought it was a pretty cage stat line, you know, 123 yards passing, 12 for 22, you know, pretty, pretty typical of them. But I think Iowa right now, I'm putting them as my favorite to win the West uh, after the Wisconsin loss yesterday. But yeah, I kind of like what I'm seeing from seeing from the Hawkeyes so far this year. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And if Cade can can play Cade ball all season long, looks like the offense at least has a good chance to be mistake free and uh, do what Iowa needs them to do. Moving on from there, we are going to get into Wisconsin. Wisconsin falls again to Washington State, this time at Washington State. And of course, Washington State has a lot to prove this year. I guess you could say the Wisconsin had first year under Luke Fickle. Uh, if you watch that game, Washington State, they just wanted that so bad. Uh, being one of the only Power 5 teams to not be included in the conference realignment and stuff like that. Uh, Kent, when you were watching this game, were you actually rooting for the Big Ten or were you kind of rooting for Washington State a little bit? Because I found myself kind of rooting for Washington State. Oh, no, I was still rooting for Wisconsin. I wanted them to win for sure. No doubt about it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's what we were talking about just now with Nebraska – the t- the turnovers in this game were so costly. I mean, they had the one right before halftime where, uh, what is it? Uh, I forgot his name already. Uh, Mordecai gets sack fumbles, and then the defense comes up. They get put in a bad spot. Comes up with a huge stop. They get the ball back and do it again. And then they and then Washington State State scores a touchdown with it. So it's just like at the worst possible time, right before halftime. Um, and then after halftime, you think Wisconsin's getting back in the game, like, Hey, we're going to come back and win this. I say we big 10, not a Wisconsin fan, but I was yesterday. Um, we're going to come back and win this game. And then they fumble it again. And then that was pretty much the, the end of the game right there when they got that last fumble, um, got to hang out to the ball. You can't beat Washington state on the road. If you're going to give it away three times on the ground like that. So, uh, the other thing I'll add is defensively, especially in the first half. Cam Ward had those defensive backs lost. It seemed like they were like, they didn't know where they were supposed to go. They were doing uh, the, they did the uh, double pass at one point. There wasn't anybody within 25 yards and it was the most telegraphed 
double pass I've ever seen in football. I mean, I feel like high school teams would have saw that coming. It was so obvious the way they set it all up. So defensive backs didn't play great. Um, too many fumbles. And then all that being said, Wisconsin was still right there in the game. So this shows you the kind of team they are. They could still fight back in any game and they're never really out of it. But yeah, you're right. Washington State totally earned that game. They deserve to win. For sure. Yeah, you're a better Big Ten fan than me, Kent. I, uh, I let my get in the way sometimes. So, <laughs> Josh, what are your thoughts on the game? Yeah, it was a definitely a interesting one and a pretty disappointing um performance out of uh Wisconsin. I know they lost to Washington State last year um different circumstances, you know, they got the they got new Luke Fickle in there. They got Tanner Mordecai who was who put up numbers at SMU, so I'm definitely a little disappointed there and um seeing Braylon Allen only get 7 carries for only 20 yards, that's a little surprising to me. You know, he I know he's been their number one running back for a while now and uh Definitely a little disappointing there. So I had them win in the West to start the year. I had them at ten and two. I don't really know if I see that now. Um, but yeah, just kind of a di- I'm just kind of disappointed in the Badgers this week. Yeah, I think they had an eight and a half over under going into the season, and I I just thought to myself they're going to go over that easily. But uh, after watching this game, not not as confident in that. Ted, what are your thoughts on the game and just Wisconsin as a whole? I suppose. Boy, this game, well, I said it in my reaction. Um, this was a roller coaster, man. You could have, I could have done three different reactions. It seems there were kind of like three different games in this, right? The first kind of segment where Wisconsin's defense didn't get any pressure on Cam Ward. He's able to sit back there. He's able to decipher. He's able to cut it up, so to speak. And they moved the ball up and down the field. The Martin Stadium, everybody on the Palouse is all hyped up, ready. Hey, say, hey, bring us into the Power Five. All that stuff, and they get out to that 24 to 9 lead. Wisconsin, you know, doesn't look great. They can't run the ball. Get to that here in just a minute. But, um, and then you have it early in the second half where Tanner Mordecai gets going. This is, I think, when we meant when we imagined what the good of what Tanner Mordecai can do. I think this is what Wisconsin fans wanted. Now, given there were a couple of missed throws. Okay, they were just missed by just a little bit. That post route early in the fourth quarter, if he hits that on the money, Wisconsin probably takes the lead at that point, and then we're talking about a completely different ball game. But they come back. They missed just a couple of plays. I mentioned that long pass and then the two-point conversion uh, as well. And then kind of the latter part of this game as well. Uh, you you see Washington State get the energy back. Wisconsin, once again, just can't get momentum going on the offensive side of the football. And then Washington State uh, kind of finishes the job. I think what we learned is Wisconsin, boy, it's still, you still need to play Badger football. You still need to play Barry ball, right? You still need to be able to be physical up front. You still need to be able to run the ball. I think at halftime, Braylon Allen is something like two carries, four yards. Chesma Lucy was more involved. I don't think you're going to see more of a bell cow Braylon Allen type of thing. I think one thing that I've seen throughout the first two games for Wisconsin is you're going to see more of a one-two punch like we see a lot of these great backfields in the Big Ten at places like Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, uh, and all that. That's what you're going to see, I think, at Wisconsin uh, going forward. But as good as Tanner Mordecai was, they're going to need more. And that more is the running game. And also, as Kent mentioned, on the defensive side of the football, you need to get pressure. You need to get pressure. That's the thing when a guy like Cam Ward, and he's good. Cam Ward is a very good quarterback. You sit, and especially with his mobility, right? If he's able to sit back there and everything's covered, even if Wisconsin does a good job of the secondary, he can take off. 
uh, and get 15 or 20 yards. The strengths of the Badger defense is the linebackers, right? Mumajug Mehta, uh, Jordan Turner, guys like that. You saw Michigan State transfer Jeff Petrowski get some court, uh, pressure on the quarterback later in that game as well. But the defensive line, Keanu Benton ain't walking through that door. J.J. Watt ain't walking through that door. Guys like that. Uh, Wendell Bryant going all the way back in the day ain't walking through that door. Uh, and then you look at the secondary in multiple ways. Jim Leonard ain't walking through that door as a player or as a coach um, right now. Boy, do they miss Jimmy. Um, I'll tell you that. That's that's one thing. I miss Jimmy. Uh, yeah, I think we all miss Jimmy. Well, Illinois is pretty good, even though they got they definitely got some work to do. Um, but uh, but man, with with Wisconsin, if they can't defend and if they don't see significant improvements on the defensive side of the football, you you can push offense to the side. If we're just talking about defense, and we know how important that side of the ball is, especially in this league and especially in the western portion of this league, if they can't play defense, it's gonna be difficult. For Wisconsin, even though their schedule it shapes up pretty well for them, and they had one of the easier schedules to maybe get to the Big Ten championship game, if they can't play defense, it's going to be tough. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Get great game breakdown there, Ted. Appreciate that. Uh, we are going to get into some winning, more winning now. Uh, so it's good to talk some some winning for the Big Ten. Purdue edges out a win at Virginia Tech. One touchdown win, 24-17. to 17. Purdue, Brian Walters finally gets his first win with the Boilermakers. Josh, what were your thoughts on this game? Yeah, it's it's a good win for Purdue. You know, they had a disappointment last week losing to Fresno State. Probably not a game they um expected to lose. But I, saw, I thought we saw the defense show up a lot better for Purdue this week. You know, playing a Virginia Tech program that's also been down that's been down recently trying to, um, you know, build that program back. So I thought Hudson, Hudson Card has looked solid for the Boilermakers. Still no interceptions yet for him this year, and he's thrown for about 250 yards every week. So solid win for the Boilermakers um, to kind of get this um, train rolling for Walters. For sure. Something you could totally build on and, and go week to week. Uh, Ted, what's your thoughts on this game? I like Ryan Walters. Uh, I like Purdue. Uh, this is a team that uh, – I kind of had my eye on uh, to start the season. And I think when we look back at this season, when this one's said and done, I think we're going to see Fresno State pretty close to that group of five representative in the New Year's Six. I think that's, I think, what's going to happen as this season progresses. I thought Fresno State was really, really good. Okay. And of course, they're the defending Mountain West champions. And, and I think Jeff Tedford, we know he, how good he is at coaching West Coast teams um, out there. So then to see that, and then Purdue bounce back. Let's call it. This isn't a great Virginia Tech team, right? This isn't Frank Beamer. This isn't uh, Bud Foster. This isn't that, those types of Virginia Tech teams that we saw late '90s, mid 2000s, uh, that kind of thing. So, uh, but but when you can go on the road and win in an environment like Blacksburg, Virginia, anytime you do that, that that's always a notch in your belt uh, right now. Hudson Card, right? There was a lot of praise for him from a lot of national media types. Mike Farrell, uh, Dave Revson really raved about him a- as well. And you see it now with Hudson Card. When you put 100% confidence into a guy like Hudson Card, I think he can do it. They never had 100% confidence in him at Texas. There were always kind of other, there was Quinn Ewers kind of floating over his shoulder, and then, hey, what about Arch Manning coming in next year and down the road? There was always something kind of shadowing over um, Hudson Card at Texas where he didn't get the full support uh, kind of of the team. And now that he's got 100% of the support of Ryan Walters and Graham Harrell uh, and this coaching staff, 
good things are going to happen. Need it, and Devin Mockaby got saw him get going a little bit more in this game. And we, I love watching Mockaby run. I love watching the mock train um, weave through uh, some some of these defenses. It's really fun to see. He's very shifty, uh, but but he can be very powerful. He's got a very unique combination, kind of a lower stature where he can get really low to the ground, makes it very difficult to to kind of wrap him up and bring him down uh, by the legs. So uh, I really like, and we've seen. Other players emerge on this offense as well, and this is a big confidence boost for that Boilermaker defense because let's call let's call a spade a spade. They got they got carved up. They got carved up against Fresno State, and, and this I just I firmly believe they're going to get better. They're going to continue to get better and better and better. At first in February and March, I was pretty down on Purdue. I'm not going to lie, I was pretty down. And then when I heard some of these reports coming out of spring camp and fall camp. And now I kind of see how Ryan Walters is kind of bringing everything together. Uh, I, I really, believe, I think Purdue is going to pull one this year. They're going to pull an upset preseason. I predicted it to be Illinois. Now, the more time that's going by, maybe that's not going to be an upset. Okay. But by the time we get to uh, the old cannon game. So, so we'll see how, how that all shakes out, but this is a big confidence boost for Purdue Syracuse on big 10 Saturday night. Next week, I think it's going to be another decent challenge uh, as well for the Boilermakers. But I just, I, I really like what Purdue, I always say this, I always joke around with Uncle Craig Mockaby uh, on Twitter and YouTube. Don't sleep on Purdue. I think he's got that in his Twitter bio now. Don't sleep on Purdue. That, that's, I guess, my message right now with the Boilermakers. For sure. And they really made a jump in, in improvements from week one to week two. I think it was Woody Hayes, uh, obviously, coach at Ohio State for a long time. Uh, back in the day, I think he said that teams make the biggest improvement from week one to week two. And so for Ryan Walters, that's a huge thing for his team to make that kind of improvement. Just shows the kind of work he's doing there uh, and, and he's excelling with. So, all right, let's get to our next game. Uh, Ted talked about them a little bit, but Illinois on Friday night, they get beat down 20 or 30. 34 to 23 at Kansas. The game was not nearly as close as the score would make it out to be. Uh, Kent, did you see this game? What were your thoughts on it? Oh, yeah. I was locked on this game because uh, last week I put out my power rankings. I had Illinois at 10. And for about two straight days, Illinois fans were in my mentions just talking all sorts of crap to me. So I was I was ready to be right about this game. I picked Kansas to win. And uh, just like you just said, I'm a good Big Ten fan. Well, on Friday night, I was not. I was hoping that they lost, and they did. I was very happy about it just because of the people that were in my mentions. Um, But you know what? That's all over now. I'll start cheering for Illinois again. I was all over Illinois last year. I love Chase Brown, and I'm always going to be, you know, try to be equal to everybody. But this week, I did want to see him lose just to kind of, you know, solidify what I thought was right about that. But, you know, Ted mentioned this already, too. Luke Altmeyer, he was awesome in this game. I tweeted a picture of Michael Vick and said that was Luke Altmeyer. He was all over the place. I didn't know he was like that because I didn't see a lot of his film before he joined the team this year. But the defense has just got holes all over the place. It just seems like they're they're lost compared to last year. Uh, Kansas was all over them. Um, I think they're going to lose again next week, too. I think they're going to lose again next week. And um, I forgot to write down who they're playing. Who are they playing next week? I just forgot to write that down. Anybody know? Oh, I just got, put down they're going Penn to lose again next week. Oh, yeah, they're playing Penn, Penn State, State next Penn week. State. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so that's another loss for them. So uh, I think Illinois is trending down right now. Um, like you said, it got close late, but the game was really in hand the whole time by Kansas. And just for this weekend, 
I love to see it. Yeah, our uh, Twitter mentions can definitely uh, make our rooting interest <laughs> sometimes. I no doubt. <laughs> Josh, you see this game? What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I saw some bits and pieces of it. I mean, I was expecting Kansas to win this game. You know, Kansas is not the same old Kansas that they were in years past. You know, and I think two words to sum up this game is Jalen Daniels. He's in. He's just an incredible quarterback, and um, can't he's gonna he's gonna win some games for Kansas this year. He he carved them up, got them out to thirty four seven, and you know, Illinois put up some points at the end there to make the score a little more respectable. But yeah, it was just kind of a dominating performance out of Kansas. I wasn't expecting that. Then Illinois to get dominated that badly, especially coming off the year they had last year. Yeah, they do return a really good defensive line. So, you know, you would think eventually that would kind of take over. But um, but Kent's right. When you have as many holes in the defense like like they have, uh, sometimes that can really impact the whole game. Ted, what were your thoughts on this? Boy, uh, this is this is kind of my thoughts. Luke Altmaier is Illinois. Illinois is Luke Altmaier, right? He is going to take them as far as he can humanly take them. Right. Last year, there were so many parts to the to the puzzle. Right. You had Chase Brown. You had, you had our guy touchdown, Tommy DeVito, who was efficient. He was good enough throwing the ball down the field. And then you had the great defense, the great secondary, which we all know there was a bunch of NFL guys right now that were that were playing in that secondary. And then the front seven as well. But it, now it looks like it's the Luke Altmaier show and he willed them back against Toledo and he willed them to a respectable score against Kansas. What has happened to this defense? I, I think that's the big question that everybody, everybody's scratching their head right now. Okay. We know the, the, the back end. We know the secondary is replacing some guys, arguably their best defensive back. Matthew Bailey has been out the first couple of weeks. Okay. Yeah. Toledo. Yeah. They were a decent back team, won the Mac last year. Okay. We get that. But what has happened now with the secondary, right? We know they're replacing a lot of guys. I'm at the front seven. What is going on now with this front seven? Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph, like they combined for zero sacks, 0.5 TFLs in week one. Johnny Newton got going a little bit more. I think he had two sacks in this game and he had a couple more hurries um, in this game as well. But but they got to find, they got to find something, right? And then you look at these linebackers, they looked lumbering. They look slow. They looked out of position. Um, you got a guy in there in Gabe Akis who a lot of people are really excited about. I think he gained something like 20 pounds um, in the offseason. Now he's sitting at 265, and I think they're still playing him at linebacker, right, instead of a defensive line spot. That's kind of – at something like 265, it's a little bit of a tweener spot, right? You know, you're a little bit maybe – you're maybe a little bit too big for a linebacker, but are you big enough to play on a Big Ten defensive line? So you kind of sit – uh, between there with a guy like that and these, these linebackers from Seth Coleman to Rick Barnes and all these other guys, they they just have very, been very unimpressive. They're not aggressive. They're not flowing to the football like we talked about Nebraska before. That's an aggressive defense. They're flying to the ball, finding the ball, flying to the ball. Illinois is not doing that right now. They just seem a step and a half behind um, as of this moment. Did Did we... Was a secondary that big of a deal? Was it that big of a cog in the machine last year? And now that you don't have it, the front seven doesn't look great, right? What did it all maybe all last year? It all depended on the secondary locking things down. And then that when the quarterback kind of holds on to the ball a little bit more, then the defensive front is able to flow a little bit more and have success. Maybe that was it. I think a lot of people like myself were scratching our heads. We're trying to figure it out. But the fact of the, the matter is, 
Illinois, like who would have thought? I said this. Who would have thought three weeks ago, Nebraska has a better defense than Illinois? I don't, I, everybody's like, no way, no way. But but yet here we are, and that that's the fact of the matter. And um, like you were talking about before about Kansas, Kansas boy, they 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 can contend in the Big Twelve, right? We saw Texas and that big win that they got uh, over Alabama, and that's great. And I think they are probably the best and most talented team in the Big Twelve. But Texas kind of has this. Um, they have this thing about them where sometimes they find a way to lose a game that they should be able to win. And a couple of years ago, what game was that? Remember? That was Kansas, right? That big 50-something to 50-something uh, game where the Jayhawks uh, pulled the upset, I believe, uh, against uh, the Texas Longhorns. So Kansas is one of those teams, I think, that can compete in the Big 12. And Illinois was never going to win a shootout. When, when Kansas was able to get going early and often – and if if they were going to continue that the way they started, Illinois, as good as Luke Altmaier was kind of trying to get in and back, it, it just was never going to happen. And when Kansas was able to find that rhythm, they were going to run away with them. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, Kansas is the Iowa's ketchup is the mustard pretty much. I mean, just complete total opposite. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kansas, they uh, they are definitely that running gun team, and Jalen Daniels is uh, definitely a very athletic and skilled quarterback. So, all right, we get into the big three now. Uh, I'm sure every fan loves a Big Ten fan who's not a fan of these teams loves when we talk about them. But Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, we'll just kind of talk about them all together. They all kind of played cupcakes. Uh, I guess Michigan played the most difficult one because they're not an FCS team. Uh, but still, in comparison to Michigan, with how good Michigan is, they they're Basically, you know, not nearly as talented in the same way. So, uh, but hey, you know, uh, Michigan and Ohio State, 35 to 7, both of them. And then Penn State just absolutely crushed Delaware, 63 to, or 63 to 7, just destroyed them. Um, I guess we can either talk about the individual games or Josh, I'd like to get your thoughts on this because everybody seems to have them in their power rankings switching up. You know, Ohio State's kind of fallen to the bottom there, but still Penn State, Michigan, they're kind of switching at the top. I see some people with Ohio State still too. Uh, this whole situation, this whole weekend, did we learn anything, Josh? It's always tough to take things away from these um, cupcake games. Um, Drew Aller had another solid game. Um, I know that was the big debate. Drew Aller or JJ? Drew Aller or JJ? And my initial take was Aller looks incredible, and I think the potential is there, to, there but I just want to see some more consistency. And he did, and he was solid. He uh, had 204 yards, touchdown, just kind of doing his thing. Um, JJ himself is, I think he looks a lot more improved. I know people wanted to say, was JJ going to take that next step? And I, I get it. They're playing cupcakes, but he's 48 for 55, 558 yards to start the year. So you can't ask, ask for um much better between those two. And um, as for Ohio State, I thought McCord had a nice bounce back game. He had 258 yards, three touchdowns. They just kind of took care of business against Youngstown State, which is I honestly what you think you I think you can say for all three of these teams just go doing going into their stadium doing their job and um, just kind of getting ready for their bigger games coming up. Yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, well, the rest of the Big Ten is saying, J.J. or Drew, J.J. or Drew, Ohio State's over here being like, Kyle or Devin, Kyle or Devin. Well, <laughs> hopefully they've had that figured out. I don't know. Yeah. It's a whole drama and saga over over in Ohio that they can deal with. But, uh, Ted, these three teams, the games, what are your thoughts on all of this? Well, I'm not a big power rankings guy. Uh, I, I know, can't you do your power rankings? Uh, our guy, JTG, Jeffrey the Greek, does some great power rankings with the Eyes on Big podcast um, as well. But, man, if I do power rankings, 
I think I'm going Penn State number one. Uh, and it's not by much over Michigan. I just love the way because I think the big question for Penn State coming into the season was, what's Drew Allen? Is he as good as advertised? Is he as good as hyped up, right? The, uh, a great quarterback recruit from a couple of years ago out of Medina, Ohio. And we have seen him maybe be the best. Now, once again, you're, you're dealing with West Virginia and you're dealing with Delaware, right? And I know that's we got to take this with a grain of salt. But, man, this this team is looking good. I don't know if Penn State has a weakness, right? From the quarterback play, uh, they've got fantastic running backs. They've got good tight ends. They've got good wide receivers. They've got a really good offensive line. And then you go over to defense. They might have the best corners um, in the league. they they got really good linebackers, Curtis Jacobs, Abdul Carter. they got good rush defensive ends. Like, they've got talent all over. Uh, the place right now. So Penn State and Michigan, I think we're seeing that yeah, if maybe if you can't run the ball, maybe as good as you would like, you can still open it up with JJ, kind of like we saw in, in some of those games later in the season, of sports, uh, that Ohio State game where, where McCarthy was able to to really sling it on, on the Buckeyes as well. And that's, that's dangerous uh, as well for Michigan. It, it's kind of, you know, you see Michigan, right? You, you're down coaches, you're, you're down coordinators, you're, you're cycling through head coaches. I, th- I think that maybe has, has something to do with it uh, a little bit. Maybe why they're, they're East Carolina and UNLV. Should they have beaten these teams a little by a little bit more? Yeah, probably. Uh, but I think cycling through. Once I think Jim Harbaugh kind of gets back into action, uh, you know, his first game back is going to be against Rutgers. And once they kind of get past that game, and, and then I think it's Nebraska uh, after that, I think they're going to really start getting into more of a rhythm right now. Once they get everybody back, usually it's players, right? Once we get all the players back, but once we get all the coaches back, uh, I think for Michigan, you're, you're really going to see them start to really hit their stride. Now, they're doing just fine. They're doing just fine um, right off the gate as well. Ohio State is, man, they're, they're interesting. They're lurking in the weeds, okay? People like me, people like us, right? We're talking about Drew Aller. We're talking about J.J. McCarthy. We're talking about Michigan and Penn State. And Ohio State is just getting it together, getting it together. And if Kyle McCord, right, by the time we get to Notre Dame, if they're slinging it, and if he's kind of, if he's separated himself as the guy and he's now in more of a rhythm, because I think in week one, when I watched that game against Indiana, Ryan Day almost, um, it almost seems like he didn't trust the passing game right off the gate. And he really went with smash mouth football and run the ball. Uh, now, now if they're able to really improve, continue to improve that run game and the pass game, and we know those wide receivers, right? They're the best in the land. Uh, no question about it. But if now if that passing game is able to get back and, and really able to take it to another level, they're going to be dangerous. Boy, and I think when I talk about Buckeyes, you got to talk about defense, right? This is a fantastic front seven. This is a defense that I, th- I think has gotten a lot better. It's year two usually under Jim Knowles where defenses take a huge jump. I think you're really seeing that. I think that's kind of the uh, maybe something people aren't talking about a ton right now um, is, is this Buckeye defense. And that's something that I think is going to gonna you're gonna see more of once we get to the and everybody's looking forward to that Notre Dame game right you you can beat Youngstown State you can beat all these other teams by as much as you want but right now their focus in the building in Columbus has got to be we got to get ready and we got to be ready to play so when we go on the road to a good Notre Dame team we could come out with the W yeah Sam Hartman Hartman will be a 
really good test for that team. Uh, Ohio State's secondary looks much improved from last year, but they've also played, again, IU, who decided to run the triple option more, and uh, Youngstown State. So Western Kentucky will be a really good matchup for them uh, this next week. Kent, you do your power rankings. Where are you sitting at with these top three? I actually didn't do them yet this week. I I was at the uh, Texas-Alabama game last night. I cheated on the Big Ten because it was really close (laughs) to my home. So I went down to that game. I got free tickets to the game, and that was awesome, by the way. But I haven't had a chance to do them yet um, because I haven't watched every game yet. I I put in the message I haven't watched the Purdue game yet, and I haven't watched a few of these uh, games that we're talking about right now. But, I mean, honestly, power rankings are very fun. They're very fun to get people talking, and that's what the whole point of, like, having a YouTube page or having a Twitter page is just to get the conversation moving, but they don't matter. Michigan is number one until they lose it and they don't win the Big Ten East. They are still the number one team. They're the reigning champs, okay? The problem is Michigan doesn't have the keys to my Twitter account, so I said that Penn State is number one, and I'm not going to change it until they give me a reason to. In my mind, Michigan is number two right now. I think that Penn State's just shown me way more, even though it's been against these inferior opponents. Um, And then Ohio State, number three. That's how I see these three teams right now. But just because I say it's like that doesn't mean that that's the case. Like Ted said, any of these three teams could win the East. Anything can still happen. That's why they play the games. And that's why, uh, you know, we're so excited to be back in the season and seeing these games happen. So it's all fun. But, you know, until they actually play some common opponents or play each other, we really don't know who's going to be better until we see it on the field. For sure, yeah. Uh, Jim Harbaugh is going to come back with the vengeance against you, t- uh, Kent. He's going to he's going to be having fire in his eyes. Where he's going to take down these power rankings. I heard Jim Harbaugh keeps receipts, or is that somebody else? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> throw away his receipts. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> too much about that. So we are going to get into our next six games. So as you can tell, we've gone way over time than what we normally do, and that's awesome. We've got some great insight from these guys. So these final six games, we have Rutgers, Indiana, Minnesota, Northwestern, Michigan State, and Maryland. I'm going to give each of these guys about a minute to go through, uh, to go through their respective games. So, Josh, we have you first. In about a minute, minute and a half, what did you think of Rutgers versus Temple, 36-7, to, to seven, they win? Rutgers looks impressive. Um, you know, I think Shiano's a good coach for them. Um, I was really impressed with the, the way they ran the ball. Uh, Montague had uh, 28 for 165. And um, Wimsett, Gavin Wimsett also looks improved. You know, I like how he's not turning the ball over. You know, I think that was always been a big issue for Rutgers, especially at the quarterback position, his interceptions, turning the ball over. So he's doing a good job there. And um, Stevens looks great, only giving up seven points in the first both of their first two games. So I don't want to say Rutgers is a threat, but I think they're improving, and you know they might give some teams a hard time. But so yeah, good good win for Rutgers, and uh, we'll see how they look moving forward this season. Two and zero Rutgers. We'll see where they go. All right, Ted, your thoughts on Indiana, Indiana State. Needed needed this needed the confidence boost, right? You have Week One uh, against Ohio State where they just couldn't do anything. They give a lot of credit, of course, to the Buckeyes' defense. But they needed this. And I think we're seeing Taven Jackson pull away from Brendan Sorsby right now. And that's another thing uh, they they needed. Um, Indiana, get the ball to Jalen Lucas. Jalen Lucas touches the ball, good things happen. Uh, it, it's a fairly simple concept. Indiana's kind of one of those teams that I, I want to keep an eye on. When we talk about upsets, Indiana, I think they're improved, right? We saw that from the Ohio State game on defense. Offense, they look pretty good um, a, a, as well. Now it's Indiana State, right? This is a bad, even FCS team. Uh, but but here's the thing: 
it's confidence, right? When you, when you lay the egg that you did against Ohio State, you need to get confidence in it between the years, right? It's all about that. Tafa Jackson got that. I think he is going to be the guy going forward. Love it. Love it. All right, Kent, Minnesota beats Eastern Michigan 25-6. to Your thoughts? Beautiful game. I mean, this was a beautiful for the eyes. Did you see the blackout jerseys for Minnesota, the black helmets? Eastern came out with like the icy blue color and the silver. Oh, man, it was just gorgeous to watch. Um, I've been really low on Minnesota since the preseason, and I'm I'm still not I'm still trying to figure out what they are because they played Eastern and then they played Nebraska. Then you look at Nebraska's opponent, Colorado. You still don't really know what Colorado is. So I'm just doing all these equations in my head of like, how good is Minnesota really? But um, you know, the big takeaway in this game was I had no idea, and maybe you guys knew who he was before the game started, but Darius Taylor, what what was this? He came out of nowhere, and it looks like it's his backfield all of a sudden. They already had two guys. I thought that Sean Tyler was going to be the guy. And then uh, they had Bryce Williams as well, who's been there for like nine years, it feels like. And this guy just comes out of nowhere. I had no no clue who he was running the ball pretty well. But, um, yeah, I just, I'm, not, I'm not completely sold on Minnesota being a threat in the West. I've been told all offseason and going into this season that they are a threat. But, uh, you know, the most important thing is you have to win the games. I said that last week when they won against Nebraska. It was an ugly win against Nebraska. It wasn't the prettiest win this week. It was a little bit more convincing. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, they're 2-0. and So that's all you can ask for, for if you're a Minnesota fan. Get them in the win column. So that's what you want. All right, Josh, you get the pleasure of talking about Northwestern's first win in America. And I don't know how long. I haven't been counting the days, but they didn't win in America last year. So 38 to seven, a win over UTEP. Your thoughts? Yeah, just, just a nice little confidence booster for the Wildcats. I know nobody's really expecting much from them this year after what went down. Um, I thought the defense looked incredible. And I think the defense, that Northwestern defense, is going to get some stops this year. I don't think they were terrible versus Rutgers and then getting the three interceptions. That's nice to see. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, uh, Ben Bryant, he didn't light up the stat sheet, but he looked more comfortable and uh, they ran the ball really well. 185 rushing yards on uh, Cam Porter with 17 for 90, averaging five yards a carry. So definitely looked a little more comfortable this week. We'll see what they do heading forward. I'm still not expecting a whole lot. You know, this is definitely a rebuilding year for them. And, um, just hoping that they can uh, find an identity after what happened for them off last off season. For sure. It's good to see a good sign for, for Northwestern for those players and hopefully that coaching staff as well. So, all right, Ted, moving on to that Michigan state beats Richmond again, another FCS opponent, but this is good for the Spartans 45 to 14. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's good. It's good. We kind of see them kind of come slow at the gate against central Michigan. Right. And then as since then, uh, they've been looking pretty good. Nathan Carter appears to be kind of kind of their bell cow running back. Right. It, or at least a one two uh, kind of with Jalen Berger. But Nathan Carter appears to be the guy that they're going to try to lean on a little bit more in the run game. And before the season, I said, you need to lean on a run game and you need to lean, need to lean on defense. It needs to be a little bit more traditional Big Ten style uh, when you lose guys like Keon Coleman and Peyton Thorne. That being said, Noah Kim, I think, continues to look better. Um, at quarterback uh, for Michigan State, still need to find out who's going to be the top guy um, in, in terms of a pass catcher, right? Trey Mosley, and then who else? You kind of got a hodgepodge of guys 
who's going to step up and really separate themselves. I don't know if we've seen someone yet that's that's been able to step up into that role. But I tell you what, I still think this is um, – well, I was about to say this was the best defense of the Mel Tucker era, but the Mel Tucker era is probably going to be coming to an end uh, here pretty soon. If it's not over already, of course, with the with the suspension, but at least in the last couple of years, this is probably uh, the best Michigan State, at least front seven uh, that they've had. And they need to continue to ride that running game and defense uh, to be successful. For sure, for sure. Great thoughts there. And our final game of the week is Maryland comes back to beat Charlotte after being down early in the game, but they beat them 38 unanswered, 38-20. to uh, Kent, your thoughts here. Yeah, I mean, the game couldn't have started worse for Maryland. You have the blown coverage where abs- I don't know if they were just mixed up at the beginning and then no one's guarding their wide receiver I mean, I said earlier, someone wasn't within 25. I don't even know if the defense was on the field when he caught the ball right there. It was so bad on the blown coverage. But then Leah comes out and just stares his receiver down, throws a pick six. They're down 14-0 all of a sudden. But I I still like, I mean, that was just the beginning of the game. I've been really liking Maryland. And I think that after they got that all out of their system, they played a really complete game. I think Leah looks good. Uh, Corey Deitches is one of my favorite wide receivers, even though he plays tight end um, in the entire Big Ten. He's really fun to watch. He didn't have a ton of yards, but he's been targeted 12 times this year. He's caught every ball. So really consistent guy, someone that he's been with for a few years now and that Leah trusts. So um, and I like their defense. I don't know a lot of the names on their defense right now, but their defense, if you take away the blown coverage that they had in that first drive, They gave up six points the entire game. If you take away the blown coverage, obviously they had that blown coverage. So only gave up two touchdowns. Um, But I thought Maryland looked good. I just, I always say this. I always feel bad for Maryland because they're in the hardest division in college football and they're a really freaking good team. It's just hard to get over that hill for Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State. And uh, I'll make a prediction right here. They're going to beat one of those teams this year and it's going to be Ohio State. Oh, okay. All right, Ken. All right. Love love the uh, hot take there. We'll definitely give you your credit if it happens. Uh, All right. That's the nice Thank thing you. about a hot take, though, is that uh, if it doesn't happen, you say, oh, it's just a hot take. Yeah, you have to delete this if it doesn't happen. Is that fair? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, hey, that is our complete week two recap. Again, a bit of a longer episode, but I think you got some great analysis from these guys today. And thanks to Kent, Casual Big Ten, for coming on. Josh, UM fan, Ogdale, Ogdale coming on. And then Big Ten Ted, at Big Ten Ted, for coming on as well. Again, remember, Big Banter Sports, BigBanterSports.com. Find them. Find them on their website. You can find the Big Ten Huddle on Twitter. You can find it on Instagram and YouTube as well. Our next episode will be will be on Tuesday with Aaron Brightman and Eleven Verse. I'm sorry, Wednesday with Aaron Brightman and Eleven Verse, a Rutgers fan and a Nebraska fan. It's going to be a great time. Join us then. Thanks so much for coming on, guys, and thanks so much for listening. 